0: good morning this is real estate for breakfast podcast and i'm your host philip Coover of clark hill plc the real estate for breakfast podcast is a chicago-centric commercial real estate podcast which presents real estate professionals and attorneys create thoughtful commentary on current real estate issues explanations of sophisticated real estate problems and entertaining discussion this podcast is a mixture of real estate business and law today we are talking about opportunity zones And I like the way that a recent Forbes article explained this. They said, as part of the December 2017 Trump tax cut, an unlikely group of billionaires and politicians quietly inserted a generous and complicated new tax break designed to lure big dollars into struggling areas known as opportunity zones, or O zones. And what happened in the Trump, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, is that there is a new provision which allows people to roll over capital gains and invest in distressed areas which have been designated by the governors of each of the 50 states and they have substantial tax benefits to doing that. You take capital gains from the sale of an asset or goods and you're allowed to, rather than pay taxes on it in this current year, you're allowed to invest that capital gains into these opportunity zones and you have a deferral of your obligation to pay on the capital gains. Plus, if you hold for five years, you have a 10% step up in basis. If you hold for seven years, you get a 15% step up in basis. And if you hold for greater than 10 years, you get the benefits of the deferral, the step up in basis that we just discussed. Plus, you don't have to pay any capital gains tax on the appreciation of your investment. So that is a very simplified way of describing this, but if I were to describe the whole act, you'd be bored. So there's a lot of good articles out there about the nuances of this act, but what I wanted today is to have Bob Wan and Lauren Guzik, two principals of Pike Street Properties, to come in and talk to us about this. They're the first people who were queued into this Opportunity Zones months ago and alerted me to this issue. And I've subsequently have been talking with clients, I've been talking with lots of business parties about using this act uh, to their advantage. And I thought that it was a really important topic. It's very timely and I wanted no other better people to do it than the people that are moving forward with these types of investments. Uh, Bob Wan and Lauren Guzik of Pike Street Properties, two very successful real estate professionals and uh, principals of a company that uh, has, was recently created in the past few years and has already moved on to do substantial transactions and hold substantial assets here in Illinois and Michigan. And I think that you'll really enjoy them. Before we get into that, if you have any questions or topics you want to discuss, feel free to contact me at PeteCouver at ClarkHill.com. Clark Hill is a multidisciplinary international law firm that draws on attorneys' comprehensive industry and policy knowledge and a global network of industry advisors and subject matter experts to provide innovative legal solutions and client service excellence worldwide. We have over 600 attorneys and professionals in 25 offices across the nation, as well as offices in Dublin and Mexico City. Well, I'll just jump right into this conversation. Bob Wan, Lauren Guzik of Pike Street Properties talking about opportunity zones, enjoy.
1: Good morning. This is Real Estate for Breakfast podcast. I'm your host, Philip Coover of Clark Hill PLC. Today we are talking Opportunity Zones and we have two uh, specialists in the area or as as far forward as anybody I have met to date on Opportunity Zones. We have Bob Juan and Lauren Guzik of Pike Street Properties LLC. Gentlemen, thanks for
2: coming on the podcast. Good morning, Phil. Good morning, Phil. Thank
3: you for having us.
2: Yeah. Clark Hill's got great coffee, Phil.
1: <laughs> well, thank you very much. Thanks for coming in. And, you know, I we were talking about this before, but the interesting thing about this is we're in the, we're in the cocktail party section of the opportunity zones is I, I heard that from somewhere else. I'm going to borrow it again, but I like it because not everyone knows how opportunity zones are going to play out. And, and just as a little bit of background, uh, for the listeners out there I'm not going to get too in depth but the, the opportunity zones are the recent tax cuts and jobs act the or the Trump tax plan created this new tax incentivized structure and we're starting to see articles on it any on it everywhere where a couple months ago there wasn't anyone talking about it, and that article started cropping up and now we're go, we're hearing about it at cocktails parties and like I told these gentlemen, I don't go to a very fun cocktail parties, so that that's what that's all about <laughs> but what it what it does is it it's trying to draw trapped capital gains into markets that need capital, and there are several tax benefits to doing so. It's like a ten thirty one on steroids is how a lot of people are referring to it and, and I'll talk about some of the details of that as we get a little bit further into the podcast. But before, I just wanna just welcome Bob and Lauren because I wanted them on the podcast because they're moving forward with Opportunity Zones in ways that I haven't seen anybody else. And I just want, we're having a different kind of podcast because we're just talking about what it is and what it could be. And I wanna talk about the business side of it. So again, Bob,
2: Lauren, thanks thanks for coming on. Yeah, it's pretty daring, Phil, to have a conversation about tax code this early in the morning. Lauren and I had a little side bet that we would put people back to sleep if we got into this. But as far as tax code <laughs> ch- changes go, I mean, this is pretty exciting stuff. Uh, BizNow called it a $6 trillion opportunity to unla- unlock all of those capital gains here in America. And, and some of those gains that have been trapped offshore, uh, like all those uh, com- companies that have capital gains, in other countries, but they don't want to repatriate it because of the tax, this becomes a great funnel and it brings that money right back into urban areas where it's so desperately needed. Um, A lot of the low-income census tracts in America have been left behind by this economic expansion. Of course, in this last week, we just heard that GDP is at new record highs and unemployment may actually be negative in America. But if you look at the inner cities and some of the urban areas or even rural low-income census tracts, all that have been you know, eligible and in many states now designated as opportunity zones, this money and capital can be put to work there uh, to equal out the playing field and in some cases maybe even make it more attractive to invest in these zones than anywhere else in the country today. I
1: mean, it just sounds...
2: Too good to be true.
1: I mean, so, so you tell us a little bit how, about how it works.
2: Well, we have to. I mean, that's exactly what everybody has said to us since early February, when a good friend of mine, who's actually much smarter than me, was reading the the 2,200 page tax bill and found on page 130 these four paragraphs. Is that it? It can't be real. It's got to be too good to be true. And. As we were discussing earlier, right, is, is, you know, with tax codes, they do evolve and change. But this one's pretty broad. It's a very, um, very wide open idea that any type of capital gains tax, anyone who pays capital gains tax, whether you're selling a car collection, a piece of real estate, an art collection, or a stock or bond, that capital gain can be invested inside of one of these opportunity zones. That, that gain can be deferred. Uh, for up to eight years, that at years five and seven, there's a step down in your basis that can reduce your gains tax by as much as 15%. And then any gains uh, inside the opportunity zone in your investment there can be excluded from tax hundred percent if held for 10 years in a day. So it's awfully wide reaching. And I guess that's, that's where the minutia starts to come in and maybe where we lose some listeners Um, is there's more to come as far as IRS direction on the tax code, but um, it seems pretty simple at this point. If you pay capital capital gains tax, and you're open to investing in one of these zones, um, you can defer your gains, and you can even be excluded from future future gains. So,
1: Bob, are you the lawyer or am I? <laughs> well, that was so you, good, Bill.
2: You—that was all your advice. So <laughs> that was so what, good. I there's some disclaimer there, isn't there?
1: <laughs> you know, <laughs> we should make a disclaimer because we're gonna—we're talking about something that is uh, un, a little bit unknown right now. And as always, this is not legal or financial advice. You should seek your attorney, your financial advisor, or accountant for any specific investment. We're just a couple of guys talking in a room, and. You know that was the best explanation that I've heard. As succinct as I've heard. I've been watching uh, seminars, and I've been reading articles, and I've been giving advice on the subject. And uh, you know, I'm just going to have to start outsourcing you to come in for these sorts of things because uh, (laughs) that was really well done. And um, you know, I mean, I've literally watched two-hour seminars on the nuances of this tax provision, but the general idea is you can take capital gains and you can get these really substantial, interesting uh, financial incentives to invest in, in qualified opportunity zones. And so the governors of each state got to designate uh, 25% of the areas that qualify. And then the federal government came back and approved certain areas, which are just what you would think of as distressed areas. And they've, so, we now know right now as we're, we're recording this in late July and we're release it in early August, is we now know where the areas are and everyone, and we have the tax code, but we're waiting for the IRS to issue some additional guidelines so we can figure out the details. Um, but, you know, what sort of, I, you know, I wanted you gentlemen to come on because you all have been very... Uh, You've been trying to revitalize some of these areas, particularly Pontiac and Flint, Michigan, uh, for years. So you've been you've been down there, you know trying to get these areas moving, and so now you have an opportunity that's come along, you know, not to to put a pun on it, but uh, how, are you tell us about how you are seeing these, what people are talking about, and, and how you hope to develop these areas?
2: Sure, Phil. Well, so uh, you know, six years ago, uh, Lauren and I looked at the city of Pontiac, Michigan, and there was a an NBC Nightly News show in 2012 with Tom Brokaw that said "City for Sale." And Tom was walking around the city of uh, Pontiac, and he said, "This is the city hall. You can buy this. Here's a GM plant that they're tearing down right now. You can buy this for you know thousands of dollars." So the Pontiac Silverdome sold at auction for $580,000. And at the time I lived 11 minutes away from Pontiac and really couldn't find it on a map at that time. Um, If you were in Pontiac, if we were in Pontiac driving around this morning, we'd stop at a Starbucks on Woodward Avenue, which is M1, the first paved road in America. And we'd start driving north about a quarter mile and we'd get to the Pontiac-Bloomfield Hills border. And Bloomfield Hills is the richest, wealthiest uh, city in the state of Michigan. And it sits right on the border of Pontiac and there's a, a wall that I always like to start the tour for my friends from out of town to see Pontiac with it is you drive over to this, this wall, one side of the wall, there's a three quarters of a million dollar house. And on the other side of the wall, there's what was an $8,000 house, a little two bedroom bungalow. Um, and the question is why, right? I mean, why would one side of the wall be so affordable and the other side of the wall be so expensive? Um, and then you look up at the brand new, you know, $400 million expansion to St. Joe's Hospital, and you realize that all of the windows on St. Joe's Hospital face face Bloomfield Hills, and very few of the windows face up the road to the north to Pontiac. And um, as you come into the downtown of Pontiac, it's just the per- most perfect little uh, town with four or five streets and historic buildings that date back to the early 1800s, just like so many places in America that have have been kind of left behind by this expansion, left behind by the malls and urbanization. And you know, just like fat ties, skinny ties, malls had their day, and now downtown urban areas are having their day. But for some reason, the average home price here in Pontiac is still $50,000, where the cheapest affordable market in the county is. 76,000 and most of them are over $200,000. So there's a disconnect on, on why the capital isn't flowing to places like Pontiac and and Flint, Michigan. Of course, Flint has another whole story that talks about, you know, everything from Michael Moore in the eighties and his uh, famous movie, Roger and me. And, you know, the demise of GM and that finally culminated with the bankruptcy that hurt Pontiac Flint and Detroit. Um, But that's only part of the story. So the rest of it is, you know, capital is the lifeblood of commerce. And without capital flowing into an area, you don't see business creation. You don't see entrepreneurial um, roots taking hold. You don't see coffee shops opening or or apartments being built or homes being sold. Um, And so that capital needs to happen first. And and that's really part of the urban problem is that the money's been starved out of these areas mainly because as a former lender um you know ri- capital is uh, risk adverse um and capital goes where it's appreciated and where it appreciates and there's not a great track record in these areas of money going up but there is a track record of money being lost in in the hard hit urban markets so um Turning that around is where tax code comes in, is small, minute changes in tax code can can actually make places like this attractive to capital again. Um, so that's that's the hope of the Opportunity Zone. It's, it's a new law that was passed in 2017, but it's an, an old idea. Before it, there were Renaissance Zones and Enterprise Zones and other tax tweaks that were less broad and less... Um, and yet less capital gains directed uh, that have had mixed effects on whether or not they actually helped the low-income areas rejuvenate. So um, the hope and the ideas based in this tax code, I think, are much better founded in a lot of ways. They are directed right at somebody who pays capital gains, which is on its baseline, somebody who's somewhat risked. risk willing. So they've made, they've gained capital gains because they've taken risks in the past. Um, that isn't necessarily an income earner. So I think from that very fundamental point, this is a better tax law.
1: Yeah. You know, the, the tax law historically has has taken all, there's all sorts of political and Economic motivations to different parts. I mean, we incentivize the deduction of home interest mortgage and home and home interest uh, mortgage payments and property tax payments to incentivize home ownership. And what you had here actually is a rare thing these days: is a bipartisan effort. This was actually uh, championed. This um, I forget what it was called before it became part of the Trump tax code and the tax act. uh, tax cuts and jobs act but it was championed by some democrats and i think cory booker was one of the, the congressmen who did it and um it was so it's supported by both sides which is so rare because you want because both sides want to in- incentivize good good financial uh, benefits as well as try to help out these these areas and what they've come into is they've come into this this opportunity zone idea that's really uh, got a lot of financial benefits. And I think what we're going to see is there's going to be trying to figure out how we're going to see this manifest itself. And I think there's going to be three different ways that we see it happen. I think that there's going to be individual investments. So you're going to see investments where somebody just says, all right, I've got some money and this is a good deal. And I want to get these tax benefits and I'm just going to invest these capital gains into this particular investment, like this one building rehab or this business that's being started in an opportunity zone. And then I think we're also gonna see uh, funds. I think we're gonna see funds where some of the big players and some of the smaller players create LLCs to hold money. And they just say to investors, come one and all, place your capital gains with us. And then we're gonna go and we're gonna source the deals you just give us the money, and then we'll go find the deals uh, that' are in these opportunity zones and then third, I think it's going to be a way you can um source different components of your capital stack so as people put together deals you have you have investors and you have active investors and you you when you 're creating the capital stack you 're trying to Figure out where to get the money for the deal, and whether it's a lender or an investor. And then you're going to have a new a new component to it, which is opportunity zone investors, which that have to be uh, handled with with delicate, delicacy and care to make sure they qualify for these benefits. But I think it's going to be a very real and substantial way to get money for different projects.
3: Phil, <laughs> have- I um, yeah,
2: just
3: to. Yeah, just to add something there, hi guys, just to add add something there, Um, you know, a lot of this is centered around capital gains, which is obviously a huge tax advantage. So, um, you know, as part of our investment in Pontiac, we truly believe that long term, this is one of the best opportunities in urban renewal in the entire state.
2: Well, and I think what Lauren's getting to, too, is, is one of the big advantages here, and since this is real estate for breakfast uh, podcast, is most of your listeners yeah. are probably real estate investors, right? Um, so they understand how a 1031 works. And one of the great advantages of a 1031 is when I have a $100,000 gain, um, I can reinvest $100,000. I don't have to write a $20,000 check to the tax man and then only reinvest 80000 in my next deal one of the disadvantages of a 1031 exchange is the like kind nature of it where i have to reinvest uh the 100,000 into a like kind property and reinvest both my principal my my basis plus my gain into the new investment so if i have a $100,000 piece of property and i have a $20,000 gain i have to put 101,000 into my next building that has to be like kind of the first building. It can only be real estate. So what Lauren's pointing out is the idea that I don't have to invest the full hundred thousand. In fact, I only have to reinvest my $20,000 gain. I can take the $80,000 basis off the table and put it back in my, you know, whatever outside the opportunity zone investment. I roll over just the gain um, and I can roll that $20,000 over into 10,000 into real estate and 10000 into an operating business that just might happen to be my tenant in that very same real estate. So the exponential gain effect is um, now I'm supporting the coffee shop tenant that's in my retail space. I own a piece of the coffee shop in the retail space, and I own the retail space. Um, And what that effect will do to urban areas is provide capital both to the businesses that want to locate there um, and to, to building up the capital base inside the real estate in the market. So, you know, you might see rising rents in these areas. Um, you'll certainly see business attraction. We know of a couple family offices right now that are looking to move into the opportunity zones in Flint and Pontiac. Um, a couple tech companies that are already here. One is going to launch a whole new fund around the opportunity zone just to fundraise for capital investors who, have the gains that they want to roll over tax efficiently and they want to deploy a hundred percent of their, their funds. They don't want to have to write a tax bill um, next spring to cover their gain tax. So.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be fascinating to see. I I also have to imagine that the people that get in early in different areas will have the greatest benefit, right? So it's like buying into the stock when it's low and then as the, the business or the company, you know, if you bought into Amazon four years ago, you're obviously going to have a much bigger increase than if you buy into it now. And uh, so I'd have to think that if you have an area that is going to see an influx of capital over the next few years, that the people who get in early at the, the low prices will have will start to see the greatest advantages. And so whether it happens to come from rolled over capital gains or whether it's uh, a non capital gain investment, just straight capital or cash on hand, you might just have just be some really good opportunity
2: for some great investments just because of the nature of what's going on. You know, you, you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast about um, the cocktail party nature of this, of where we're at in the opportunity zone right now. And I was at a dinner party on Friday night with some really smart people and one of them brought up the distortive effect of any tax code change. And literally, you know, here in Pontiac, there's a road that divides the downtown uh, from the, the neighborhood just outside the downtown. And that road is also the dividing line for the opportunity zone. So anything inside the downtown zone is opportunity zone. Anything across Woodward Avenue on the to the west of town, not opportunity zone. So here, same city, one street divides it. And I have now this massive tax advantage to being on the east side of the street. Um, You can see where that's going. You know, literally this one investor asked me, well, why would I ever buy a building on the other side of the street now? Everything on that side of the street is going to stay blighted and everything inside the downtown loop is going to rise exponentially in value. And, you know, that's one of the risks of this kind of legislation is that, it will distort markets. It will create a giant magnet for capital to relocate from one area to another. Um, and that could, in effect, leave other areas behind. Um, and, and a lot of people blame the demise of the inner city um, on all kinds of different factors from crime to, in the case of Detroit, white flight. I had an economics professor once, Phil, that, that put it much more succinctly, and I actually believe him to be true. It's not quite as exciting as all the other reasons that people put forth, but he said that when they brought out a city income tax in Detroit, people were incented, People who made money and paid taxes were incented to go north of 8 Mile and come out to the suburbs where they didn't have to pay the 1% to 3% now income tax, and it makes a ton of sense. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Now there's plenty of other taxes inside of cities, um, but you're literally seeing cities like... But like Chicago, lose tax base. Friends have moved from New York to Florida where they don't pay income taxes for that very reason. And small changes in tax bill and tax code can make a huge effect in economic development and demise of places. And and the Opportunity Zone could have the same boomerang effect 10 years and one day from now when those early funds, as you said, decide it's time to sell and leave. could that distort things in a a bad way 10 years and a day from now? I think the hope of the people who have written this legislation and and those of us supporting it is that 10 years and one day from now, we've created such vibrant places um, that this tax uh, advantage going away won't change the, the innate economic advantage of being in these cool places. So.
1: So, uh, first of all, I'm glad somebody else is at cocktail parties and dinner parties where they're talking about tax code changes. It's not just me. Um, but the other thing I was thinking about is uh, they, these areas are not stagnant. So what you're talking about where you have an area, I mean, theoretically, if because this is bipartisan effort, if uh, successive generations and of uh, establishment future presidents, Congress, uh, continue this program, that the there's opportunities for the government, for the governors to designate new areas. And so the areas can shift. Now, you'd still be able, there's a part of the code that says that if something is no longer an opportunity zone, that it, it remains, that it will continue to have basically the same effect for five years after it's transferred out. So these opportunity stones will probably stay there for several years. But down the line, they could say, all right, well, we're going to make new districts now. We're going to make new areas. And so and then it's going to transfer. And so you still you're not going to have the the plug pulled out on you because it will continue on for five years after the government decides that one particular area is no longer an opportunity zone. But I think, theoretically, the idea is if this program works well, we can just keep on changing down the line what areas need capital. And so we'll just get better at investing it. And so we'll just keep on moving it around. And so if it's on one side of Woodward Avenue, then we'll just move it to the other side so we can get some more capital in the other areas. And if things are going well, you know, we can continue to reposition capital. But I mean, of course, there's probably a good argument that that kind of manipulation in the marketplace doesn't always work out as well as, we hope,
2: on paper. But, you know, we'll see. You actually made my case there, Phil. But I said, look, you know, by its own definition, you can't have an opportunity zone in a high-income census tract. So, if you've evolved a a market or a zone to the point where it now is a high-income area or no longer a low-income area, it loses its opportunity zone status and, and that status moves across the street. So, um, and, and we all know that, you know, as much as trickle down economics was unpopular, that it does have an effect. That your labor, your labor then moves to the other side of the street, and you create economic benefit there because people are commuting across the street to come to work in the downtown. So, um, rising tides rise all boats. That's part of the theory here, and it's going to be an exciting 10-year run for Opportunity Zones. I'm, I'm sure of that. So. We're at the very beginning of it right now. So you're on Bob, the bleeding edge, Phil. I, I feel that way. <laughs> um, if
1: Tell us a little bit about Pike street properties and your background and just a little
2: bit before I, I let you go here. I, I'm hogging the breakfast conversation. Lauren, I'll let you pick up the background on Pike street.
3: You, okay. Well, uh, sure. Um, You know, I spent uh, four years at Grubb and Ellis and I spent 13 years at Cushman and Wakefield and both places were fantastic uh, to work at. But um, over time, I started to just buy some properties on my own and um, it evolved to a point where Uh, I wanted to uh, just kind of go out on my own and do this for my own account. And uh, of course, I didn't want to do it by myself. So uh, I asked uh, one of my colleagues at Cushman and Wakefield, Jack Kriseis, to join me and certainly one of the smartest guys that I know, Bob Wan in Michigan, uh, to come aboard as well. And so we started Pike Street, which is um, an acquisition redevelopment, development uh, and property management company. And, um, you know, we're an advisory firm that focuses on commercial real estate, the experience and lifestyle that it creates. And so what we're trying to do is just bring awareness to all things real estate. And um, so we've been around now for about a year and a half a little over maybe and i'm really excited with with the growth of pike street and uh we've got two offices of course one in chicago and one in pontiac and um yeah it's it's been fantastic and certainly i could never have have taken this thing to where it is right now without the help of of jack and bob um and yourself, you know I have to give I have to give you a plug here, Phil, because oh, thanks, uh, you've been very helpful sure you've been i mean it's deserved you've been very helpful with all the legal device, uh, uh with all the legal advice uh that you've helped me out with along the way.
1: I appreciate that you know it's just really amazing to see what you guys have created in such a relatively short time frame. you've done some really substantial tr- transactions hold some substantial assets and uh it's it's exciting for me to be around such um energetic and uh, knowledgeable people
3: thank you thank you you know it's you'll hear it all the time it's uh who is it marcus limonis on uh, cnbc says uh, oh yeah uh, yeah people process and product and um uh thank god i have the right people Uh, who are helping me with the right processes and we think we have the right product and bringing that back, um, you know, that would be, that would be product in, in Flint and Pontiac um, with the help of the opportunity zone, of course.
1: Yeah. And you guys have a nice mixture of um, entrepreneurial spirit and uh, institutional background. So you have, You have a mix of knowing uh, from the operations side, how to get things done in an efficient and um, careful manner and organized manner. And then you also have that sort of big picture,
2: energetic ideas that you bring to the table.
1: Bob, how about you tell us a little bit about your background?
2: Sure. And, and Phil, I too, I mean, I, I got to throw kudos to you because to have an attorney on our team that thinks businesslike and can look at a, a problem, help us solve it in a quick and efficient manner, and then look at an opportunity like the Opportunity Zones and think entrepreneurially on how do you make the, you know, make lemons, lemonade out of those lemons of urban problems. Uh, that's that's a fantastic uh, asset to have on our team. You're, you know, fantastic to have here. So, uh, my background, I, 1988, I dropped out of college to take a job at a an, uh, savings and loan here in Michigan. Uh, that turned into my first mortgage company by 1989. And, uh, I've been, I'm a repentant banker, had a real estate broker's license since 91 and really just used it for my own book. We, we did all kinds of obscure financing. Um, pre-2008, we were big in the condo hotel world and timeshare and fractional lending for uh, second home buyers. Um, in fact, it, the first loans at the Trump Hotel there in, in Chicago and uh, the Raffaello, which is also a condo hotel. But then after the, the uh, fallout of 2008, I switched gears and started doing workouts for uh, Lehman's Estate and a few other REITs and even a couple of offshore banks in projects also like the Trump and uh, Waikiki so we saw both sides of of the financing coin and I was lucky enough in 13 to uh, to sell the mortgage uh, business right three days before Dodd-Frank went into effect and realized that you know laws really do matter, uh, tax codes matter, minutiae and changes can really shift and evolve industries so um, Dodd-Frank did some really destructive things to the lending business and I was excited to get out and into uh, real estate development. And I was looking at third world countries at the time that uh, might might have be helped by the some of the things that we learned in financing and injecting capital into uh, broken and distressed projects. And I found this place called Pontiac. And uh, Lauren was, you know, one of the my first uh, bright friends who had a lot of guts and said, Hell, you know, heck yeah, I wanna I wanna put some money." in that um, broken city with weeds that were up to it, their, your knees in the main street at the time um, <laughs> and really it had, had a pathetic look on it here. Um, but we were buying buildings at you know $10 a square foot when the scrap value of the bricks alone at 82 cents a brick would have been three, four times what we were paying for the building. So um, it's been an exciting run. We've learned a lot about politics and that I never wanted to know. And urban planning um, that is interesting, but you know you know to hire the experts for about the architecture of old buildings. And I, I actually told my daughter the other day that I sh- I want to change my title to urban archaeologist because uh, Lauren and I were peeling back a building here built in 1865, and we found a room that we're waiting to find out if it is indeed one of the last stops in the Underground Railroad as uh, people came up from the south into Pontiac. It's a block away from the courthouse where they would have been emancipated. Uh, A few months ago, we opened a ceiling and a whole bunch of paper fell down on us and they were checks from 1863 to 1865, all covered in ashes. And and we tried. I mean, the the bank that they were written (laughs) off of isn't here anymore. But they each had a one-cent stamp on them, Phil, that were used to pay for the civil war. So I think the stamps are probably worth a couple bucks at this point, but, um, yeah, so it's, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, the Flint project, uh, came about because industrial in America is we saw three years ago that it was coming back. And one of our partners had a factory in China that he wanted to relocate jobs back to the United States. And so Lauren and I are, are active in Flint and an industrial park there that, um, you know, has the potential to add hundreds of new jobs to America um, that's part of the old Buick City complex. It's the largest industrial site in Michigan, maybe in the Midwest, that's ready for redevelopment and in the last couple of years has seen some amazing improvements. So um, you are honored to be, be part of the evolution of these, these historic places.
1: I love talking to you guys about this because it's easy to see how much you care about these communities and how much time and energy you've spent uh, getting to know them and learning about them. Uh, if, if I'm going to let you go here so you can get on to more important things with, around your day, but if people want to get in touch with you, what's the easiest way?
3: Lauren? Uh, sure, you can uh, just go to our website and connect with us there. Um, you can always just shoot me a text, um, to, uh, both the phone number and the email addresses on our website. Uh, the website is pikestreetproperties.com. Uh, and you can also DM us on Facebook and Instagram.
1: Fantastic. Well, Bob, Warren, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We appreciate your time today. Thanks for
2: having us on, Phil.
3: Thank you, Phil. Bye-bye.
0: No information contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal and or other professional advice, and no professional relationship of any kind is created between you, the podcast host, the guests, or Clark Hill PLC you are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and the guests, and not necessarily Clark Hill PLC.